What's going on, guys? Welcome to another week of the podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, this week's episode is especially a treat because I got to sit down with Dr. Piercy. Dr. Piercy is a professor at HBU and also an author of many books, but specifically, we talked about Love Thy Body in this week's episode, and she's an expert on all things gender sexuality, transgender, homosexuality, abortion, all those types of kind of tough topics that are difficult to talk about. We talked about them in this week's episode, so listen in. This conversation is going to provide you a ton of value and a ton of clarity, and if you enjoy it, leave a review, and it helps the podcast out a ton, and also if you rate it, it helps a ton as well. So here is my conversation with Dr. Piercy. Dr. Piercy, thanks for being on. Obviously, you write a lot about sexuality, transgender, abortion, euthanasia, so many other things that have to do with so many hot button issues today. But my question for you to start off, why do you feel like a Christian should care about those things? You know, maybe someone who says, you know, I'm just going to worry about me. I'm not worried about that. Those pol- those political issues and those hot button things, I, d- I don't really want to be concerned with those types of things. I'm just going to live my life. Why should a Christian be concerned with this type of subject matter? Well, first of all, because it's not just about politics. These days, there are probably a lot of people in your personal life who are dealing with these issues. That was the thing that surprised me when I was writing the book. I have lots of anecdotes um, from my family, from my students, uh, from, from my undergrads, as well as graduate students. The people in your life are dealing with these issues. Yeah. If you know young women, they're probably dealing with abortion. If you have... Um, People in your family are likely to be dealing with homosexuality. If you have teenagers, they're facing the hookup culture. And today, the big issue is transgenderism. So many young people are under enormous social pressure to declare themselves as the opposite sex. These days, I, I hear from well, for my book, I interviewed parents of transgender children, and they said the, uh, the, the peer pressure at school... Yeah. was horrendous. If, if, if any girl, um, I even talked to people who say they call it a gay genocide. <laughs> yeah. And what they mean by that is all the kids who, who are, you know, girls who are somewhat masculine anyway, who, who might have identified as, as lesbian, boys who are somewhat um, more feminine yeah. and might have identified as gay, today are being pressured to say, oh, no, no, you need to go all the way and admit you're mm-hmm. trans. You need yeah. to go all the way and admit that you're really the opposite sex. Yeah. It's like you're you're afraid of being who you really are, really are, quote unquote, right? It's, yeah, I mean, I've seen that too, just in with the teenagers that I work with and people that I work with. It's just, it's like an opposite type of peer pressure, which, you know, many more, many more years back, that would not have been the case, it seems like. But before we kind of jump into like the negative parts of the sexuality, the things that are wrong and the parts that are broken, what do you feel like is like a biblical, proper truthful, objective way that sexuality should be like, what does God have for humans like in its most basic form? Because I feel like we need to know what's right before we can really gather all the things that are not right. I think it's tough today for people to go back to Genesis Mm -hmm. and just see that God created humans in his image as male and female. Those are fighting words today. You know, that, that, that phrase, fighting words, in the sense that they are controversial. Um, just to say that it is good, that the sexual differentiation between men and women is a good thing. You know, what in Genesis, God looks at his creation, you know, at each stage of creation, it says, and God saw that it was good. And then, of course, after the creation of the first human couple, it, the text says it was very good. Mm. And I think that most people today have a hard time recognizing that sexuality is a good thing 
and that sexual differentiation. I, I'll have to tell you, when, when I was young, I was a feminist. Um, and I did not think it was good to be a woman, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I felt like being a woman made you weak and incompetent. And I wanted to, uh, I, I felt like men took advantage of you. And I can really understand girls today who are going trans, as they put it, you know, who are, who are claiming transgender identity, because they don't want to be objectified as sex, ob- sex objects. And they are afraid of the fact that sh- just on a sheer physical level, men are bigger, stronger, and women are more susceptible to both physical and sexual abuse. So young women today are starting to say, well, if I don't like being a woman... I can be a man, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and I've, I've read accounts of uh, people who detransition. That's, that's the ones who usually write about it, right? The people yeah. who, um, young women, and it is mostly young women these days, you know, the, the numbers have shifted. Back in the early days when, when it was still called transsexualism, it was primarily a male phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And now it's mostly a female phenomenon, and it's mostly uh, teenage girls. Yeah. You know, so when I give my talk on the subject, I show these graphs of the number of, of girls who are claiming a transgender identity, and the graph, you know, shoots yeah. way up like a cliff. You know, it's way up. Um, so, what's wrong with our girls? Why do they find it, you know, scary and negative to to be a girl in our culture? Mm. And that's what we need to look back at and say. How how can we train our girls once again to see that it's good to be a woman, yeah. that God created us that way? And by the way, I, I don't know if you know this, but I have a new book coming out on masculinity. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and so now I'm having to deal with it from the other side as yeah. well, which is so many men today feel beaten down yeah. and disrespected and devalued. I told a class once that I was writing a book on masculinity, and one of my male students shot back. What masculinity? It's mm. been beaten out of us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now I'm dealing with, okay, men feel like they've, that masculinity has been you know, defined as toxic. Yeah. Girls think femininity is bad and that you know, maybe they should really aspire to be a boy mm-hmm. so that they can be strong. And, yep. uh, and so just saying sexuality, the sexual differentiation between male and female is a good thing is a revolutionary message today. Yeah. So and what I hear a lot of is people allowing feelings to dictate the direction of which they want to go, right? Whether, well, I'm a, I'm a woman, but therefore I feel like a male, so therefore I'm going to be a male. I'm a male. I feel like a woman, so therefore I want to be a, a woman. And for me, I feel like feelings are real, but not always reliable. What is the issue with allowing feelings to dictate your direction as opposed to what you mentioned, right? The Bible mentions in Genesis. Here's the proper way that sexuality should be introduced and played out. What is the issue with, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let my feelings dictate. What is the primary issue with that? Yeah, I appreciate your emphasis on, you know, what's happened to our view of the body. After all, my book is called Love Thy Body because I do think that's a central issue. Um, and it's most easily seen in the transgender issue. I start with um, examples like a BBC documentary that put it this way. It said, at the heart of the issue is the idea that your mind can be at war with your body. Mm. And, of course, in that war, it's the mind that wins. Or another BBC, art, um, it, it was a BBC social, which is for teenagers, and it showed a young woman who claimed a binary non-binary, who claimed to be non-binary, and she said, 
Um, it doesn't matter what meat skeleton you've been born in. It's your feelings that define you. So the body has been reduced to a meat skeleton. Or um, I found a website by a, a male-to-female transsexual who was raising money. It was a Kickstarter page. Raising money for a documentary to be titled, I Am Not My Body. That says it all. You know, yeah. The body is not part of the authentic self. And it goes down to um, toddlers. Uh, did you see, not long ago, um, Blue's Clues? Blue's Clues? Do your kids <laughs> I, watch I, it? <laughs> I, I watched Blue's Clues actually growing up. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you see this during Gay, gay Pride Month? Um, they, had, uh, they featured an animation of a Gay Pride mm. parade uh, led by a drag queen. So essentially, the message to toddlers was that your body gives no clues to your identity. Mm. Wow. So, oh, and the and Washington Post. Okay, you know, these are not fringe publications. The Washington Post just had an article where they quoted from a curriculum mm. where first grade teachers were instructed to tell their students just because you have what some people might call boy parts does not mean you're a boy. Mm. Notice that some people might yeah, call. Yeah, yeah. It's very subjective. And then, and of course, it also said uh, just because you have what some people might call girl parts does not mean you're a girl. Yep. So kids down to kindergarten, yep. first grade, are being taught to to be estranged from their own body, that their yeah. body is not part of the authentic self. You know, because I write on this, I have to read what the academics say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there is a book by a Princeton University professor defending transgenderism. Yeah. And first of all, I was kind of surprised that this was supposed to be a defense, and yet she admitted that transgenderism involves self-alienation, self-estrangement, self-division. Mm. I thought, wait, you're defending it? <laughs> but then the key line was this. She said, what the, what the physical body tells us is nothing at all. It has no meaning. So this is essentially the heart of what young people are being taught in the public schools today. Your body has no meaning. Mm. It gives no clue to your identity. It gives you no moral message. Yeah. And that's why the, f- the feelings are then set free. Yeah. You know, do, do with your body whatever you want. It's just a biochemical yeah. machine, you know, thrown up by blind material forces of evolution. So treat it as a tool. Yeah, yeah. Do with it whatever you want. And with that being the popular mindset, or at least the mindset of, of a lot of people, it really brings to light why people can vouch and protest for the right to abort or do things like that, right? When we don't have any regard for the body or the beauty of the body, like you mentioned. I mean, it makes sense why people could maybe come to those conclusions when you're operating from that perspective. What do you say to people who say, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. I, I've been to all those things, but yet I think abortion's okay. Or I think people should be able to choose for their bodies. What would you say to maybe that person? Right. So um, in my book, Love Thy Body, one of, the, one of my goals is to equip Christians to answer the secular world. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not enough to know what we think, but how do we answer objections from the secular world? And on abortion, what we need to realize is what the professional bioethicists are saying these days. There is no secular bioethicist who denies that life begins at conception. Mm-hmm. 
they know. The science is just too strong to deny it. The genetics, DNA. You will not find a secular bioethicist today who denies that life begets at conception. So how do they get around that then if they want to support abortion? They, what they do is they say, well, the fetus is human, hmm. but it's not a person. So there's this split. You know, if you can be a yeah. body, it's a human. Physiologically, genetically, uh, chromosomally, you are human. Yeah. But you're not a person until sometime later. And mm-hmm. clearly those are two separate things. And as long as you are, quote unquote, merely a human, you know, just a body. That's how yeah. they will sometimes put it. You're just a body. Yeah. Um, well, at, at that point, if you're just basically a piece of matter, according to a materialist, secular, atheist point of view. You're just yeah. a piece of matter. You're a biochemical machine. And so as a result, it can be killed for no reason, or, you know, any reason or no reason. Yeah. It can be uh, tinkered with genetically. It can be subject to experimentation. And then it can be picked through for sellable body parts, as mm. Planned Parenthood does. Yeah. And then tossed out with the other medical waste. And yeah. that's exactly the term that you will find used in medical journals. Yeah. They call the fetus medical waste. Mm. So what, what this means is the very notion of human rights has shifted because here are people acknowledging that the fetus is human and saying that that gives it no rights at all. Yeah. It does not give it any moral status. That does not warrant legal protection. So being human no longer warrants human rights. Mm. And so that's where abortion has put us now. You, you know, you, you have to um, bring it to a much larger scale than just, you know, can I, can I afford this baby or not? It's not just a personal decision. When you make a decision, you are making a decision as it's for, you are implicitly supporting a worldview. Mm-hmm. You're implicitly saying being human is not enough. Whether you're thinking that or not. So I was talking to a young woman the other day who's, and I was explaining you know, that abortion rests on this very low view mm-hmm. of what it means to be human. Yeah. And she said, well, well <laughs> I can think life has value and still be for abortion. Yeah. And I said, look, the, when you make choices, your actions imply a worldview whether you mean yeah. it or not. I've heard it said that your actions speak so loud I can't even hear what you're saying. Right, right. So if you think it's okay to abort a fetus at some point, you are saying it has no rights. Yeah. You know, no, no matter what you think, you know, what else you're thinking, your actions are saying this, this person, this, this um, human has no rights at all. Well, later I'll say it has rights, but now it has no rights. Mm. So your actions say that because you could not just uh, abort a baby without saying, you know, it has no value. It has yeah. no right. It has no right to life, yeah. to use that phrase. And that, and that same idea that you mentioned too of, you know, it's a human, but it's not a person. It's, it, it doesn't hold as much value as, you know, whoever traditional human person that you say holds the value, that, that doesn't. And we get to decide what does and what does not based on different measures and things like that. You kind of mentioned in your book that people have, right? And it's, it's kind of hard, right? It's like the baby might not have value, but does the elderly person not have value either? Does the handicapped person not have value either? And then it becomes a slippery slope, right? Am I am I correct in that? Well, it, the interesting thing is, you know, since I had to read all of these secular bioethicists, mm-hmm. none of them agree. Yep. They all disagree. They all draw, draw the line at a different place. Why? Because once you... Uh, once you separate the person from biology, you know, from being biologically human, mm-hmm. then what are you going to base it on? 
Yeah. Every bioethicist draws the line at a different place based on their own private personal values. Yeah. So it becomes very arbitrary and subjective. And you're right. It, it, then it, it can apply to other issues like euthanasia. Euthanasia is just the same reasoning, but in reverse. Basically, it's saying you were a person, yeah. but if you lose certain cognitive capacities, you are no longer a person. Yeah. And at, and that's at that point, um, your food and water can yeah. be discontinued. Your, your treatment can be stopped. Mm-hmm. You can be unplugged. And you are, and again, what secular bioethicists will say is, and this is the actual words they use. They say, well, it's only a body. Mm. At this point, it's only a body because yeah. it's not a person anymore. Do you feel like that applies to other issues? This, I, this poor mentality of the body. I can, I can do with it what I want because it's not that big of a deal. It's just a body, right? Do you feel like that applies to homosexuality and tran- transgender issues as well of, well, I can manipulate it too or I can utilize it sexually over here however I want? Do you feel like that applies and that's why – that's so popular or is that off base? No, you're absolutely right. So the opening example where I talked about a teenager, teenage girl who claimed a non-binary identity, you know, your body's just a meat skeleton, mm. right? Or the transsexual who said, my bo- I am not my body. Mm. Yes, all of the transgender, um, the, the activist language is all the denigration of the body. Yeah. People have a little harder time seeing it with homosexuality, but think of it this way. On the level of biology, anatomy, chromosomes, Mm -hmm. physiology, males and females are counterparts to one another. That's how the human sexual and reproductive system is designed. To claim, to to embrace a same-sex identity, therefore, is to contradict that design. Yes. It's to say, why should my body inform my identity? Why should my biological sex, as male or female, have any say in my sexual choices, in my moral choices? Mm. So what do you say to – and you wrote about this a little bit in the book too. What about people who say, you know, either like I was born gay. You know, these are desires I always had or maybe, you know, I I could never be attracted to the opposite sex. Like I've I've always been this way. I'm I'm always going to be this way. What would you say to – a person who is a Christian who says I I would like to follow the – the laws and the guidance of God. I'm a Christian, but I also feel this way strongly. I am attracted to the same sex. What would you say to that person? Well, I talked to a former homosexual who I think had a really good answer to this. Um, he, he was homosexual for many years, but now he's married and has three children. And he puts it this way. He said, you know, people who say God made me gay, right? If God makes some people gay, he said, then God has played a cruel joke on them. Because he's designed their physiology in one, to, in one sex, but that he's designed their emotional, uh, their sense of emotional and, and their sense of identity to be in the opposite direction. So the question we have to ask is, would God create people to be torn in two conflicting directions like that? Would God create self-division, self-alienation? Would God... You know, not the Christian view of God. The Christian view of God would say, no, God originally creates us to be whole. And it's the the product of the fall. Things like conflict and division are products of the fall. And so this is what we have to help people to realize that just like so many other ways that we're all broken in some way, mm-hmm. including our sexuality, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're all broken in some ways. And we all have to realize that we're, we've been affected by the fall in one way or, or another. Oh, yeah. So we're all in the same boat in that sense. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so I think that also plays into not just same sex sexual sin, but opposite sex, right? Uh, you know, the hookup culture, the idea of, well, I can be with whoever I want. My physical attachment to somebody doesn't have to be an emotional attachment to them. Like I can go be sexually with any person I want to and not form this bond. What would you say to people who may hold that mindset of, well, I can hook up with anybody. It's fine. It's not a big deal. That's that's big with young people today, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I quote in my book, Love Thy Body, I have some quotes. They're very poignant because young people know the script, right? The script is – you're supposed to be able to walk away from it as if it hadn't happened. Mm. Um, and I, I quote a young woman named uh, Alicia who said, Hookups are very scripted. You learn to turn everything off except your body. You make yourself emotionally invulnerable. Mm. But I also quote young people saying, This is not really what they want. Yeah. You know, um, uh, this was actually in Rolling Stone magazine of all places. Um, there was a, a young, again, a young college student who said, uh, the mistake people make is they act like there's two very distinct parts of the relationship that can be divided. You know, there's the physical relationship, so the sexual relationship, and then there's the emotional relationship. And they pretend like there are clean lines between them. And her point was, we can't actually live that way. There's, there's a psychiatrist um, who works on college campus who said the most prescribed medications on the college campus are birth control pills and antidepressants. And she says there's a connection between them. So I think that what young people realize is that Scripture says we're meant to be whole persons. Yeah. You know, their mind and our bodies are supposed to be in tune with each other, in harmony with one another, in, in um in congruence with one another. And even science is showing this. It, you know, since the discovery that sexual relations actually releases uh, bonding hormones, there's a UCLA psychiatrist. Yeah. And she says, it's like we were designed to bond. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great line from a UCLA psychiatrist. Yes, we were designed to bond. Mm-hmm. On the on the level of the whole person. You know, yeah. Our emotions are meant to be in tune with our body, and even our hormones yeah, yeah. are in tune with our body. Absolutely. So what hope do Christians have if they're struggling with their sexuality? They feel like, hey, I, you know, I, I am attracted to the same sex, or I, I would like to be the other gender, or whatever that may be, because I imagine that's a, that's a lot of turmoil in somebody's heart and their soul of, hey, I get it. I want to honor God in my lifestyle, but I also want to do this really badly and and feel emotionally wholeheartedly like this is something I should do. What hope is there for that person? Well, in Love Thy Body, I do have a whole chapter on transgenderism. And um, I do have the story of a young boy who was who had gender dysphoria from a very young age. I mean, people noticed it before he was even walking. <laughs> people would say, you know, this, this kid is not normal. Uh, as, or as his babysitter, said, his babysitter said to his mom, he's too good to be a boy. by which she meant he was, you know, sweet and compliant and gentle and quiet and the things we stereotypically associate with girls. Um, And when he went to preschool, every day when his mom picked him up, he was playing with the little girls, Mm -hmm. not the little boys. By elementary school, he was coming to his parents weeping repeatedly and saying, I'm interested in the things girls are. I feel the way girls do. God should have made me a girl. And by his early teens, he was looking, uh, scouring the internet for information on sex reassignment surgery. So what did his parents do? 
First of all, they made sure he knew they loved him just the way he was. When I was in seminary, I had a fellow student who was a former homosexual, and he said, "My, uh, I like music and poetry, and my dad was baffled and kept trying to toughen me up by pushing me into more traditional boy things like sports. And, and this, uh, I call him Brandon in the book. Brandon's parents didn't do that. They told him it is perfectly fine to be a, a sweet, gentle, emotional, sensitive boy. It does not mean you're really a girl. Yeah. And of course, it's perfectly fine for girls to be non-gender conforming as well, to be more take charge, rational, assertive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what they kept telling him was this. It's not you that's wrong. It's the stereotypes that are wrong. Mm. And they took him through things like the gift of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are not divided by sex. Right? The teaching and prophecy are not masculine, as we might expect. Mm. Mercy and service are not feminine. And the, the fruit of the Spirit is not yeah. divided by sex either. So, and they even took him through things like the Myers-Briggs test to say, look, it's okay you know, for you to be on the far end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it took a long time. You yeah. know, these things are really difficult. And it was in, when he was a, in his early 20s, he finally decided, here's how he put it. He said, I realized surgery would not give me what I wanted. Mm. It would not make me a girl. And there's a famous TED Talk by a cardiologist. And the, the famous line from it is, every cell has a sex. Mm. Every cell has your DNA, and so it has your sex. Yeah. And if, obviously, you cannot change every cell of your body. So if I were talking to people, a young person today, I would also look at detransitioners. You know, these days we have enough people who have gone through the trans route and have come out of it. And so they are really good sources to find out, you know, what was it like to think you were the opposite sex for a while. So there was a, an interview with a girl who had transitioned to boy at age 11 Mm -hmm. and had lived for three years as a boy and then reclaimed her identity as a girl. And this is a a direct quote. She put it this way. The turning point came when I realized it's not conversion therapy to learn to love your body. Mm. And this came out after my book had already been published, but it would have been a great quote for a book titled Love Thy Body. Yeah. And there's another one that I, I like to tell. Uh, her name is Laura Perry. So she, she, she transitioned to male and successfully passed as a man for 10 years. And then she became a Christian. And at first she thought she could continue living as a man. She said, I aspired to be a real man of God. Yeah. And then one day when she was praying, she seemed to hear God say to her, you cannot love me and yet reject my creation. Mm. Isn't that great? Yes. And, and of course, she knew immediately, immediately what that meant. It meant your body. You know, I, I did create you female. Oh, I'll give you one more story just because there's so many stories yes, in, in the book. It's, you know, uh, it's not people might think it's just a moral reasoning. No, no, no. This is another one that I just love. Um, a woman who was a lesbian for many years and um, today is married and has two kids. And she wrote, she wrote an article about it. What, what changed? She said, I came to trust that God had made me female for a reason. 
and I wanted to honor my body by living in accord with the Creator's design. And I love this positive language. See, on all three of those examples, it's not, you know, piling on shame and guilt. You know, Christians are kind of known for that, right? Yeah. For just saying it's wrong, it's a sin, it's against the Bible, don't yeah. do it. And there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yes. That's the message that comes across. But notice all of these, you know, uh, and the first one, by the way, is not a Christian. The, the girl who said, I learned to love my body. Um, and then the girl who said, the young, the young woman who said, um, uh, you cannot you, you cannot claim to love me but yeah. reject my creation. You know, I wanted to honor God by living in accord with the creator's design. Notice positive language on all of these. This is a language I have found when I speak publicly you know, to Christian groups, like schools and mm-hmm. conferences and so on. This is what they have the hardest time getting their mind around, is changing the language to say, you know, we— the, the Christian ethic is based on honoring your body, on living in accord with the Creator's design, on living in harmony with who God made us, respecting our biological sex. This is all positive language. Yes, absolutely. Well, Dr. Piercy, you are a wealth of wisdom, and I would talk to you all day if I could, but I know you have things to do, so we greatly appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us, and thank you so much for providing us so much clarity. We appreciate you, so thank you. Thank you so much. I hope this episode helps you out and provided you tons of clarity and encouragement. If so, I'd greatly appreciate it if you would leave a review and also share this show on your social media. It helps more than you know. Until next time.